Take your Bibles and go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. For those of you who are regular to Grace Church of Mentor, you know we normally do the Lord's Supper in the evenings, and we will be returning to that uh, in September, but with a little bit different way we're doing our evening services during the summer, we'll be having the Lord's Supper during these uh, later Sunday weeks of the month, uh, just for the summer. So uh, as you go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I'd like to thank those of you. I was remiss in doing that earlier for those who uh, threw a lot of muscle and time into helping us get ready for the picnic at our house Wednesday. Um, set up, tear down, preparation, and all those good things. We're just so thankful for you, and uh, praise the Lord for you. If you need a Bible to follow along, our ushers are ready to give you one. Just slip up your hands. Uh, maybe you forgot it in the car or at home. Um, just need one to follow along. Uh, we desire to study God's Word together. Uh, so they'll see your hands and... and um, give you a copy of the scriptures. As your Sunday morning bulletin says, or should say something like this about this text, today we want to understand God's wisdoms for the natural rhythms of life. As we live through these rhythms, how would God have us understand him and how he operates within these day-to-day routines? God does have a plan for you within his much larger plan. That's a very elementary statement that a lot of us would agree to, and most of us would typically restate that by often telling each other when we're hurting, just trust God, he has a plan. And none of us really have a hard time saying that, but many of us have to wrestle ourselves to believing that. God does have a much larger plan for us as we live out our day-to-day plans. You do, though, need to understand that your smaller life story is a significant piece to his much larger divine story. There is no insignificant story being written about your life if your life is in Jesus Christ. And I think you need and we need to own that. You might feel that the story of your life is very small and insignificant in the scope of God's big plan but it's not. It's a necessary piece. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 would tell us that. God who is faithful, who has called you, will do it. Will do his plan. Philippians 1.6. You know the three parts to that, right? He that began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Okay? When I was a little boy, um, every Christmas, and I think I've shared with this before, my dad would buy for us uh, a rather large model, and it would either be in the form of a plane or a military ship uh, or any kind of a shipping vessel to put together. One year, he purchased for us the USS Enterprise. 
Now, this uh, ship was built. It was the first nuclear-powered aircraft carrier in the Navy in American history. Uh, this was a large model. This model would have been about 30 inches in length. It had over 1,200 parts to this model. And it came with a very extensive and detailed plan book on how to put it together. And we were excited to get the model, and then the excitement quickly fleeted away when we opened it, put all the parts across the table, began to look at the microscopic print of the plan book, and my brother and I would look at each other and say, this isn't going to be much fun after all. There was a design purpose, though, for every piece of that model, regardless of its size or its shape. And what looked like confusion and chaos, once we took the pieces and spread them over the table, we understood, as we continued to put it together and follow the plan book, that there was no insignificant piece regardless of its size or a shape. And every piece was necessary. I could have gone or we could have gone freestyle in building that model. And I wouldn't, I'd be a liar if I told you there was a couple that we felt that we could build without the plan book, right? without the directions. And um, we actually could take the fuselage of a plane and its wings and glue those together and and, and no one would ever know that we skipped about 75 pieces of what went inside the fuselage or the, or the wings, and it looked like a model. Right? But we knew those pieces were missing, and that particular model would typically not last as long as the ones that you built well, following the directions instead of going freestyle. But when the model was complete, I would realize that without significant pieces, in their proper places, the structure of the vessel certainly would have been compromised and therefore its use as well. Well, God has a purpose woven into every piece of your life. And for many of us here, I want to let you know, because it did for me too, uh, that kind of a statement, which is going to be biblically stated in a few minutes, can bring great duress to our hearts if we don't understand that statement within the context of a whole, of a context of Scripture. He has a purpose woven in to all the pieces of our lives. Every aspect has genuine meaning in the text before us and over the next few times that we gathered together over this text. We'll begin to make sense out of what some might feel is confusion to life. A favorite author of mine said about this text that sometimes we don't see the significance of a timepiece of a story until later on. Often there seems to be a brick missing and it's hard to keep going without it or there's tremendous joy and satisfaction as a particular piece clicks into place and crowns a part of our life project. The difference between real life, he continues, and a model project and real life, however, is that we are not the ones with the instruction blueprint laid out for us. God is. Only God has the master plan 
for our lives. And as we live day to day, through the good and the bad pieces of his personal plan for us, let's help each other not get confused or frustrating by reminding one another that God has a beautiful purpose for each of our personal stories in his whole master plot. There are three ways that I want to divide up verses 1 to 22 of which we're not going to be able to get through all of that today. But I'll give you that outline as I often do to help those of us, regardless of how long we've known the Lord or not, to be able to simply follow along. The first thing I'd like to discuss is that we need to understand the providence of God in our natural rhythms of life. What is the providence of God through the natural rhythms of your life and my life? And I think we need to understand the perspective, the spiritual perspective of God, the perspective really of the wisdom of God as it pertains to our natural rhythms of life. So providence, perspective, and finally, some plain truth. Some plain truth in relationship to applying the wisdom of God to the natural rhythms of life. Providence, perspective, and plain truth. Chapter 3 and verse 1 makes an all-encompassing statement. Solomon writes, there is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under the sun. I really do believe that verse 1 should be tied to verse 11 in our immediate understanding. And some, some writers of, about Scripture would say that I'm jumping ahead too far here. Well, I know our flock, and all I'm trying to say is there are many of us here, including me, that if I just take a blind, immediate look at verse 1, I'm going to dive too deep in discouragement. So let's go to verse 11, which again, a number of folks would say don't do, but I'm going to do it, okay? He, God, has made everything appropriate in its time. Underline that. So I think if we understand verse 1 and verse 11 in its first part, it's going to let us know that God is the appointment maker of our short story within his larger divine novel, if you will. There are those of us this morning that just need to be reminded of where God fits into all the details which we're about to read in verses 2 through 8. There are 28 short statements written in verses 2 through 8, written in 14 different pairs, in seven different, seven different full statements detailing for us the whole of every one of our individual existence. 28 statements and 14 pairs and seven full statements detailing for us the whole of our individual existence. And I really do believe that the Lord uses seven statements or explanations here to show us that these details really do explain for us the complete 
measure an activity of all of our lives. I really do, as you know, the number seven in Scripture is the number of completion or fullness. And I really believe that's what the Spirit of God's doing here through the hand of Solomon. He's trying to let us know that there's not going to be one life in the auditorium this morning that's not described in detail in these phrases. So none of us gets to jump out or, or disconnect because we're all included here comprehensively. And, and quite frankly, what Solomon's saying here with the help of the Holy Spirit is simply this, that, that everyone's involved, the details of everyone's lives are involved in verses 2 through 8, and also the similarity of the details of everyone's lives are involved here in verses 2 through 8. In other words, we all go through the same things. We all go through the same things. There may be degrees of good, and there may be degrees of hardship and bad, but all of us endure both through the good and through the bad. In and of themselves, in other words, if we were to just look at verses 1 through 8, we would be left bankrupt. Really, if we were to just look at verses 2 through 8, we would be left bankrupt. That's why we always study God's word within its context. And we will investigate these verses, but that's why we've got to connect them to verses 9 through 22. What does God have to say about these natural rhythms of life in which we all participate? So here's a few details that we need to understand before we dive into verses 2 through 8. One godly man said that Solomon begins here to put together the big picture of life and the individual smaller parts of life to explain why our lack of control over either is the very thing that should give us hope. Let me reread that. Solomon begins here to put together the big picture of life and the individual smaller parts of life to explain why our lack of control over either is the very thing that should give us hope. In other words, if you're going to just read verses 2 through 8, you'll feel hopeless. And that's why he's including those in relationship to what we're going to study together in verses 9 through 22. Where's God in all this? When we add God to the picture, our small story to his larger story, that should give us hope. In our small story, we should feel hopeless. But in him, we find hope. Secondly, it is part of life for us to understand that we are enclosed in time. And God is not. God is not. We know what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3. A day is as a thousand years for God. And a thousand years a day. God inhabits eternity. God is eternal. Would you agree? Amen. It's hard for us to wrap our hearts and minds around that mystery, but God exists 2,000 years ago right now. And God already exists 2,000 years in the future right now. God's not bound by time. He created us to live within segments of time, but he's not bound by the same. And thirdly, I think something important to understand is this, that what does verse 14 say? Let's just look there. And I know that everything God does will what? Remain forever. 
hang on to this, especially when we get to verse 15, particularly the last phrase, which says, for God seeks what has passed by. It's going to be a powerful statement when we get to it the next few times that we're together. So just as chapter 1 taught us that creation has a rhythmic pattern to it, so chapter 3 teaches our lives individually have the same pattern. We have an existence of routine that's rhythmic within our existence. So in these verses, 2 through 8, we'll see statements that represent things that look opposite of one another. We'll see statements that detail for us extreme positions. And we'll see things that appear to go normally, side by side. And when we read these statements, we can assume that this poetry is written to include, again, all of life's circumstances as they are providentially fitted together whether they be opposites or whether they be extremes or whether they seem naturally side by side. So for instance, just in verse two, what does it say? There's a time to give birth and a time to die. Why does he start there? Here Solomon gives us the bookends to our existence. All of us have a creation date and all of us have a predetermined expiration date, if you will. But the first polar opposite would teach us that there's a lot that happens for all of us in between those two times, in between those two dates. And the remainder of the written pairs, which come in more detail, explain all that happens in between birth and death. Verses 3 through 8, let's read those together. You're familiar with these. Many of you that have known the Bible for a while. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. The word there, kill, for those of you who are younger in the Lord, that's not the Hebrew word for premeditated murder. Okay? Or giving you the license to kill. Right? Many believe that this has an agricultural context to it. Right? There's a time to do away with something that's inanimate. (laughs) Right? So again, understanding the context here. There's a time to tear down and a time to build up. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. There's a time to search and a time to give up as lost. God gave us that verse for unmatched socks in our homes. It's a time to keep and a time to throw away. That's God's license for garage sales. Right, men? Yeah. There's a time to tear apart and a time to sew together, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Included in these statements are good times and bad times. There's time for killing and healing, a time to love and to hate, a time for war and peace. And not all the pairs are opposites, as we've read. There's a time for embracing and refraining from embracing, and there's a time to talk and to not talk. There's a time to search and to give up searching. 
Life is full of good times and bad times, as one author said, and in between times. But God has a purpose for each of these details as the master planner for every one of us. God, in his providence, knows. The word providence that we gave for you in your first point really has a Latin origin to it, right? And it just be, means being able to see ahead, okay? If we were to give it English terms, it would be like um, the word pro and the word video, all right? Pro would be to, the verse of con, right? To move forward, all right? To look ahead is the video, to see ahead. This is why we say in the, in the natural rhythms of life, right? God, who's not bound by time, sees all. And in truth, the past is his present and the future is his present. God lives in a constant present for himself. He sees all. He sees all. And he sees all these details. And he sees your faithfulness within these details. And he sees how you handle that which is unexpected as you live out faithfulness within your daily routine. So what kind of perspective would a providential God ask us to have on these rhythms of life as we live through them? First of all, I think it's obvious here in verses 2 through 8 that we're fallen people. Right? Fallen people do what? They kill. They tear down. They cry. They mourn. They hate. And they war. We're broken people. And we're all affected by what happened in the Garden of Eden when man fell into sin. And we know from Romans chapter 5 that the Bible tells us that in Adam... We all sin. We're conceived in sin. We're born in sin. It's natural for us to not only be affected by sin, but to live in sin. And when we know God in Christ, by his grace, we're able to live and to make wise choices regardless of what happens in our lives, but there's still things that happen to us that really are even out of our control in this context. When our kids were going through sports, every quality coach that they had would tell them this. You control what you control. Don't try to control what you can't control. Even people that don't know the Lord know that there's a part of life that we're responsible for, and there's life that just happens. <laughs> don't worry about what you can't control. You control what you can control. And I think... Within this list, we have both. Things that we are responsible for that we can, and things that just in God's providence happen in a fallen world. In a fallen world. For instance, could you imagine going out to dinner, and when the waiter asks for your order, you say, I'd like to have 30 minutes of belly laughing belly laughing next Thursday at 3 o'clock, please. And you went on to say, I'd like to order 10 minutes of emotional pain next Friday at 2. But just 10 minutes, please. 
And oh, I, I'd like to meet the love of my life tonight before 10, if that's okay. And I'd like to schedule our divorce for nine years from now before he can hurt me. Can you do this? Sounds bizarre, right? Sounds nuts. There are things we can't control and there's things that we can't because we just simply live in a fallen world. As Christians, the things we can control, we control by God's grace, not of our own human effort. And then even as we're walking in the spirit, there's things that happen to us that are out of our control. And don't forget verse 9. Verse 9 continues the encouragement here. <laughs> and I'm being facetious when I say that. What profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? That sounds a lot like a cross-reference there, what we looked at last time in chapter 2, verses 18 to 23. Whether you live a wise life or an unwise life, both still die. The wise person may die and leave everything that he's done wisely to an unwise person who might undo everything that he's done and vice versa. Do you remember that little discussion? What profit is there in the end of the day? These are the rhythms. You can't change the rhythms. You can control some things. A lot of things you can't. In the end of the day, what's the profit? Right. We're still all coming to a mere human zero balance in our balance sheet left alone to themselves without an understanding of who God is. But it is good for us to understand this first perspective that we all live in a fallen world. We all live in a fallen world. Can we say that together? We all live in a fallen world. Can we say it one more time? We all live in a fallen world. Do you believe that? You say, ah, oh, that's easy. Well, that's easy. But what's hard is, we may even know, understand why we're tempted to sin and why we sin, but it's very difficult to understand when sin's inflicted upon us. That's why I state three times, we all live in a fallen world. Things that we control and things that we can't control. The second thing I think it's very important to understand as Gibson points out for us in his commentary that involved in these couplets, if you were, or these pairs in verses two through eight is the reality that God has made us to be a very relational people, a very relational people. You can go back in your own time and reread these verses and notice how many, one, how, how many of these pairs include us being obligated to have human relationships. God is a person, right? He has personality. He's created us in his image. He's created us as persons. He's created us to be personalities. He's created us to have relationships inside and outside of our homes. Within this context, there's crying, there's laughing, there's mourning, there's dancing, there's working, there's embracing, there's loving, and there's speaking. Anyone that does all of those things or even one of those things consistently alone would be considered a bit odd in our culture. It's sometimes painful for many of us to realize that God has made us to be with people because people can encourage us or people can what? They can hurt us. 
We have to understand that we all live in a fallen world. We can't stop living because of that reality. And as I said earlier, all of us experience similar joys and pains and all our twins, really, in the general activity of their life experience, although the good and bad may come in varying degrees for sure. But whether we're rich or poor, single or married, blind or can see, educated or not, all live through these natural rhythms of life with fallen people and we endure the same things. What does verse 10 say? I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men, all of his creations, with which to what? Occupy themselves. There's one group of people in the New Testament that decided to pull themselves out of the natural rhythms of life, the Thessalonians. And Paul wrote a whole three-chapter letter to them to let them know, look, don't do that. Right? They sold all their belongings. They moved out of their homes. They probably went to reside in a hilltop waiting for Jesus to come and left all of their responsibilities. And Paul says, no, you're being disobedient. You shouldn't have quit your job. You shouldn't have done this. You are to occupy. This is what we're supposed to do. These are not wrong things to do. And because we live in a fallen world, sometimes bad things do occur that are unexpected. But God has given the sons of men these things for which to occupy themselves. So how do we understand finally some plain truths here? This is where we're going to spend the next couple times together. Because I think the final verses of this segment warrant more depth and more opportunity to study and apply. Do you remember growing up, your parents saying, you can't do that, and I really don't have time to explain why I'm telling you no, but just trust me? Anyone ever hear that from their parents? Maybe you heard from your parents no, with no explanation of anything. Regardless of the situation or the opportunity, every parent brings a perspective that their child doesn't have yet. Would you agree? And sometimes you just say, trust me, I've got the experience. You don't want to go out with that guy. You really don't want to develop a relationship with that girl. You really don't want to take that job. You really want to avoid being out after midnight. You really, and you're in your car, you really want to, you really want to, why? Just what? It's for your greater good, just trust me. But I just want to let you know, just like we are that to our children or our parents were that to us, we're kind of like that to God. What we experience in our homes in microcosm, we experience in our relationship with God in macrocosm. We'll say, Lord, but just, just trust me. You couldn't handle the explanation even if I did try to explain it, right? But Lord, why? Or how could you? Or wow, if I could just stay in this great moment for the next 90 days, don't let it end, right? Whether good or bad, Lord, could you or would you? Or, and Peter just says in 1 Peter 4.19, what? And trust yourselves to a, what kind of a creator? a faithful creator while you continue to do good things. 
while you occupy in these things and trust yourselves. Why? Because we are all short stories within God's grand, beautiful, divine story. Sometimes even though we're passionate and absolutely convinced that things should work out or should not have worked out a certain way within our own personal story, remember God's not bound by us or by the time in which we live. His ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. But we trust by faith, supported by grace, that his master blueprint is beautiful. And if we could just play a piece in that, faithfully by grace, I trust him that he's working it all out. So how do we live? Or how do we even think about how we live in this culture? We'll look at verse 11 to begin with and then stop and consider the rest of these things the next time we're together. He has made everything appropriate in its time. That's why I started with that after we read verse 1. He says here, he's also set eternity in the sons of men's hearts. Yet so that man will not find out the work (coughs) which God has done from the beginning even to the end. It's a powerful statement here. What's verse 11 teaching us? And our passion to know everything about why something went white or why something went wrong, regardless of the degree of right or wrong. God has set in our hearts the desire to know that. So here what might seem a conflict of emotional direction for us. God set it in our hearts, that which we want to know, and then he says in the second part of the verse, we really can't know it. So what are we supposed to do? Entrust ourselves to a faithful creator that he's using the triumph or the tragedy of our lives by his grace to be part of a short story within his larger story for his glory. Part of living in this world is admitting we only have, as one author said, limited access to the big picture. We have to let, he goes on to say, we have to let God be big and we have to become very small. Reminds me of 1 Peter 5. We need to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. Verses 12 to 14, we'll get into next time, teaches us that, again, we can only control what we can control. And it's going to give us a lot of encouragement as to how God manages all of his divine details of our lives unto his glory and our ultimate good. You can cross-reference there Romans 8, right next to verses 12 to 14 that we'll get into next time. All things do work together for good to those who are called. And when you doubt that, as we all have at some point in our life, How do we ground our minds and our hearts in the word of God to find our spiritual center so that we can continue to move forward? And the next few times we're together, we're just going to lay out a lot of spiritual, wonderful, divine opportunities we have 
to enjoy the wisdom of God and to live it with joy. Okay? All right, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we can understand a little bit about your providence this morning, a proper perspective. And Lord, begin to unearth some plain truth in relationship to these natural rhythms of life that we all persevere through. We ask for your wisdom again, God, regardless of our joy or regardless of our grief. So many ways to apply that in each of our stories here this morning. But regardless of those two extremes or everything in between, since our birth and before our death, help us to know and to trust that you are, are a good God. And shall not the judge of all the earth do good? And that you are a just God. Help us to understand all these that are your attributes that we'll discuss together in these next few verses so that we can be settled in our hearts that in the end of the day, you're going to do what's right. And you always have been doing what's right, even though we can't grasp it. Help us to know that you're in the center of our joy and that you'll, be, you'll bring justice in that quickly, comprehensively, and eternally for those who are without Christ that have harmed us. Help us, Lord, to understand that for those who have hurt us, that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. You have a date and a time set already for the eternal judgment of those who offend, who die without Jesus. You are a God that does right. Help us to wrestle ourselves to the understanding of that reality and that truth so that our hearts will be glad. In Christ's name we pray.